Hey, welcome to the Fearless Paranoia podcast, where we are seeking to demystify the complex world of cybersecurity. I'm Brian, the cybersecurity attorney. And I'm a cybersecurity architect, and I'm pretty sure I'm still Ryan. He's pretty sure, but you didn't see the poop emoji hat he was wearing earlier when we started recording this episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of physical security in a cybersecurity environment. Now, this doesn't break down a complex term, but what this does do is it takes something that a lot of people don't necessarily associate with cybersecurity and demonstrates what why it needs to be a part of that conversation. And we're actually going to do this by walking through a company and identifying where Ryan would be able to breach your systems simply by being there or being doing something that has nothing to do with hacking in through the external network. These are things that you need to be concerned about after you've turned off your computer, before you've turned off your computer, before you've connected to the Wi-Fi, anything like that. Ryan, before we get started, anything about this topic, before we get into the room by room that you want to address about physical security? No, I think that just understanding that physical security starts as soon as you get within technological range of the building, which is close enough to reach the furthest broadcasting connection you've entered the physical security domain of the building. It doesn't necessarily just start right at the front door or inside the front door. Well, so what we're going to do is we're pulling into the parking lot outside of nondescript small business or medium business or anything, any place really with an office. This is, we're not talking about a store or a retail or restaurant type environment, although they have their own physical security concerns. We're just, we're talking about your standard. Yeah. We pulled up in front of Insecure Office LLC. And their parking lot right here in whatever shared business building they're in. Right. This is Intertrode, really. This is what this is. Ryan, you pulled into the parking lot. You're sitting in your car. What do you see? Well, if we're doing a purely physical security assessment, I would take my first step out of the car and start looking towards the building. But even from right inside the car, you are doing a cybersecurity assessment around a physical location. First thing I'd do is look to see what wireless connections are available. What Bluetooth is broadcasting? What Wi-Fi is broadcasting? How secure is it? Is it something that I can start kind of poking at? from there. So even at that point, before you've touched physical security, you're within range of that building just in the parking lot. That's important before we go on. And we're just going to touch on this part very briefly. But yeah, there's something to be said for, obviously, you're concerned about your network and everything like that. It's connected to the internet. But in a physical proximity sense, you do have to be worried about anything that has a limited range. Because we tend to think of limited range things as largely secure because of the limited range. And that's not necessarily wrong. In fact, that is a pretty big feature of it. And it gives you interesting reconnaissance as well. So if you think of something like, let's say, hey, I determined that they have a wireless network that they're broadcasting. Well, that means that they also have wireless access points, physical hardware that's going to have to be spread throughout their building to be able to broadcast that network, which means all of that's going to have to centralize somewhere, which means there will be an IT closet somewhere with direct access to a bunch of centralized network devices. Now I have knowledge of something that is going to be something I'd want to look for inside the building without even having set foot inside there. Sometimes I can get an idea of printers because they'll have printers that are just screaming out looking for wireless connections regardless of the fact that they're hardlined in. But you can get a good enumeration of what types of services might be available and what type of hardware might have to be available to offer those services before you even step foot and see what's actually inside. That's a very good spot to get some initial intelligence. You've got your initial intel, you're stepping into your car. I just want to let you know that while you're describing your next steps, I'm going to be going and disabling the Wi-Fi on my printer. (laughs) So first thing I would do then is take a walk around the building 
building. If they've got any pathways, any kind of sidewalks, maybe a little park area, something, and just kind of walk around and window browse. Window browsing is a great way to start looking for things. There's a lot of times that people have window seats in their office and they will have monitors and post-it notes and notepads and things cleanly visible from right through the windows. Even with window tinting, even with different window coverings and dressings, there's a lot of information that could be available there because while that information might not be accessible visually from people walking by them in the office, which is what their main focus is, is who's in the office walking around their cube or around their desk, they tend to not think about who's going to come up and peek in my window and look at what they can see there. And well, if you have your back to a window and your monitor and everything facing there and you've got passwords on post-it notes on there, I mean, that's a really quick, easy way. That's interesting too, because it occurs to me that the people who are most likely to have their screens facing the window are people who have offices and who have an intention to keep what's on their screen private from other people inside the workplace. Now, generally speaking, that's a power move. So who does that? People who have higher privileges, people who are sitting in an office. Higher privilege or higher access to information, executive right. level, things of that nature. So not even necessarily privilege, but privilege as far as information access, because access to financial data, access to lots of great things. Anything viewable from the window needs to be a concern. All right. So you've gotten past that. What's your next stop on the physical security tour? Well, I think once you've kind of done an assessment of the outside, again, IoT is another thing to look for outside the building. So if they've got an external camera system that's protecting the outside of their building, see, you know, that's one more thing to look for of either a physical connection point or a wireless connection point to a management console or something to that effect. So get an idea of what other types of devices could be exploited. Wait, so before you go on, I want to point out that you just said that you would be able to gain additional useful insight into ways a company could be penetrated by identifying the existence of, location of, and number of security cameras. Well, I mean, to some extent. So again, those security cameras are likely centralized somewhere. That data is likely recorded somewhere, which is most likely on a system internal, likely in this building. In a lot of cases, those are either like a DVR, NVR, something to that effect. There's a physical piece of hardware that's attached to this network. Now, again, there's ways to secure stuff like that. It can be on its own VLAN, its own segregated network, its own connection. It can be entirely air-gapped. But a lot of businesses just kind of take that thing and plug that port right in and plug it right into their production network. And of course, then they want to be able to access it remotely and see it remotely, which means they open up port forwarding and other types of connectivity to open up access to that so that, you know, whoever the CEO can come view the cameras on their mobile phone anytime they want. Well, of course, you got to keep the username and password simple because they don't want to have a challenge in trying to get this kind of <laughs> access to be able to keep an eye on their building because for security's sake, because if they can see the cameras, the building is secure. So of course, password one, two, three, exclamation mark, life is good. No, again, yeah, simple stuff like that can just give you the idea of an existence of, okay, so now there's probably a device in this building that may or may not be externally accessible. It's one more thing I can start trying to take a look at because, again, if my whole goal is to get into your environment, I may never, with that knowledge, have to go into your building. I can now go sit back at home and just see, can I get in without having to get that next step further? But let's just assume I can't do anything with any of that. You get past IoT, window browsing, all of that. Well, let's take a look at getting into the building because once we get in the building now, it opens up a lot of new possibilities. So we have a couple different things that can occur when we try to enter. We can end up with an uncontrolled access building, which again, that's easy, right? I think most small businesses that aren't dealing with IT or highly sensitive or expensive things, this is going to be the norm. That is the norm. That is absolutely the norm, which makes physical security internal to the business even more important for anything that they deem critical. Or you just assume that there's low risk in any of the other things that could be exploited in that type of 
scenario stuff that could just be, you know, quickly pilfered or copies, pictures taken of, whatever. Uh, you just have to assume it's low risk. Those are low risk items. And in some cases, it might be, right? If you run a candy store and you yeah. have the office door locked under lock and key, you have a register that's as secure as it needs to be if that's not a fail point. Like, what else is somebody going to get? They're going to steal some candy off your shelves, maybe some boxes or some, again, low risk stuff. But for, yeah. uh, again, to your point, company that have got big data and stuff, they typically secure their entrances through one of a couple means. You either have unattended security or you have attended security. Unattended security would be badge reader, some sort of like biometric identification, you know, some data centers and stuff, even like real secure have stuff like retina scans and things like that now where you're doing like full on very detailed bio metrics before granting access. So there's a variety of those different systems, but in almost all of those cases, there's an automation piece or a systematic piece to it, which can be exploited. So again, it's identifying some of those systems. If you have a really old RFID card reader system, let's say you're in a legacy building and your landlord just will not update the old 1983 scan card technology. Some of that stuff is very easy. You can copy those RFID tags, you can replay those and get access to a building. A lot of the newer technologies, it's a little more challenging, still doable, but a little bit more challenging to do that. They've got rotating codes and other levels of encryption that are part of those systems. But let's say we're into the front door here, because I think we're going to skip over the part where y'all need to lock your front door when it's not regular business hours. Y'all need to make sure if your window's open that they are double secured from the inside, you know, two different lock mechanisms. You should probably have some sort of perimeter alarm system. If you have video cameras, you need to make sure that they have comprehensive coverage so that a video camera cannot be disabled externally without it being seen by another video camera. You're in the front door and whether it's attended or not attended, you know, there be there a receptionist. Let's just, let's go with the receptionist example. There's probably going to be some sort of system that greets you when you walk in. Otherwise, that's a whole different problem. Sure. And I think even in the future, you might even start seeing stuff like automated attendance that start to fill some of that role. But in some case, there's usually some sort of gatekeeper at the front of some of those businesses where they have an access control mechanism. That's either going to be a person or a system acting in that function. Regardless of the fact, there's usually technology involved in there somewhere that can be a good point of exploit. And if you have human capital in that equation, somebody filling that role of that attendant, that first person in the door, that gives uh, the ability again for human failure points. So writing down passwords, leaving keys out and available, whether that's like a physical key or a RFID key or some sort of badge or something to that effect, leaving the desk unattended in the presence of somebody else, which again, for somebody maybe not like me, maybe, I, mean, I don't know, maybe like me. If you leave a computer unattended in my presence for 30 seconds to a minute to go grab me some water or a copy of something or go fetch somebody physically for me or something like that. That's enough time, especially if I have access to like your physical laptop, desktop with a USB port, something to that effect, and you don't have good security controls in place. So that right there opens up a lot of initial points before you even really get to the good stuff, which is at that next layer once you start to get into like the user spaces and the tech spaces beyond that. But again, right there, there's already a lot of exploit potential, just one step inside the door. So right there, we talk about one thing that is, I think among, in my experience, the most commonly ignored and most critical of physical policies is what we refer to as the as a clean workstation or the clean desk and the clear screen policy. You do not leave your workstation with anything that may be exposed. And just putting something in a drawer is not sufficient unless that drawer can be secured by a manual lock. If that's even sufficient, will depend on the company. And you also make sure that you log out of your system in a manner that without full credentials, you can't re-access it. Now, you did bring something up that's very important 
important to that is also when you leave your workstation, if your workstation itself has open ports that can be used, you have to have a way of making sure that things don't get just inserted into them. I can't tell you how many different places, companies I've seen where if there's a physical docking port or an actual CPU station where it's placed somewhat out of sight so that even if you did leave your computer unlocked, you could come back to your desk, sit down, inspect all of your work area and log back into your computer without ever even having looked at the USB port that now has a drive in it that has no fingerprints on it, but does have a payload that is set to immediately be inserted into your computer. So that to me raises an entirely new issue and probably is something that I would need to address about the workstation's ports, but we're going to talk a lot about you know things moving forward. The clean workstation policy applies to all of these because it is a huge point of vulnerability. Well, absolutely. And that's assuming somebody gets in the building past those first points, right? Now you've got someone that could, in theory, walk around unattended in a building and the larger the company gets, the less everybody knows everybody. So the less you get that paranoia feel of somebody new walking around and the more it just becomes accepted to see people that you're just unfamiliar with. And at that point, you start to lose the vetting of just employees against a potential intruder into your business. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. So the next step I think we would talk about is obviously there's the controlled point of entrance, whether the receptionist or whomever is responsible, whether they are simply sitting in a desk next to an open walkway, which I think is normal for a lot of businesses. And other businesses will have some sort of buzz-in feature where you can't actually get into the workplace proper without being approved by the receptionist, whichever one of those is in place. And going past what I consider to be more of an employment policy about whether someone should be accompanied or not, I think that creates its own issues. If you're required to be accompanied, that's an issue all of its own. And I would hope that companies would have that just for worker safety because you don't want someone's disgruntled ex coming in and just having no no restrictions at all so we'll hope that you have those in place let's talk about you've now gotten in past the main entrance i want to walk through a few types of rooms obviously we're going to say that the workstation policy applies to everybody let's identify what you are seeing as the vulnerabilities that physical security can either help protect or are related to this let's start in what you refer to as the user space you walk in this will be the cubicle farm or the open workspace now i know there are probably slightly different security vulnerabilities in each of those. Walk through what you see when you walk into one of those rooms as the vulnerable points. Sure. This could be a really long conversation, so I'll try and stay as brief as I can as I kind of walk through. So I'm looking for anything that could be useful, which again, could be a whole variety of things. So you look around through the user workspace, it could be an open office or the other spots that you mentioned. It could even be mutual spaces like a mailroom, a lunchroom, anywhere that people would leave things, office-related, business-related things. So I'm looking for things like information, anything that's personally identifiable information, anything that could lead to answers to your security questions. So names of your pets, places that you've lived, maybe your 
address, any sort of that kind of information. Credit card information, of course, is a quick, easy win for something that's not even business related, but cybersecurity, any passwords, key cards. Again, RFID cards be great because if someone's going to leave it sitting on their desk and they're not around, that means chances are they don't need it frequently to move around the office. So they might not miss it if you snag something like that really quick. Unattended connections to a workstation. So we already talked about like inserting a USB device to drop a payload. There's network adapters that can do man in the middle attacks where I could go in, I can unplug your network from the back of your laptop, plug it into this network adapter, and then plug that right back into your docking station, your desktop, whatever. And you can just leave that in place. And that device now is going to take a copy of all of your connection and do whatever I want with it, which could be send me copies of it, look for certain things. And that just sits, it looks like an adapter. Oh, so that kind of rains on the parade a little bit of the open office setup, doesn't it? I mean, most of these open workplaces, the idea is you've got a workstation, you walk in, you plug your company laptop into it. But man, if all it takes is... Well, think about that. Who's going to look at me, a guy that's coming and just doing something at a hoteling cube? A hoteling cube in an office is something where it's a shared workspace. People come check in, sit down for a couple hours because they're in the office that day, but it might be used by somebody else the next day and somebody else the following day because it's a shared space. Well, if you plug this into, say, the docking station, which is a physical permanent piece of the infrastructure of that shared workspace, heck, now I could sit down and watch the traffic of every single individual person as they shift from day to day and get different sets of telemetry until somebody actually recognizes what I'm doing, which is either identify the device on the network, identify the malicious traffic being sent somewhere else, or physically find the device. And again, if you don't have mature cybersecurity practices, you, you may miss all three of those things until you actually get to the point of finding the physical device. And usually by that point, you're far too late and there's plenty of damage that's been done. Okay. So aside from, we've discussed the workstation policy, obviously, I think most companies where you have cubicles, where you have some expectation where the things in your office are yours and private and it's your exclusive space, you see people put up photographs of family and friends and everything like that. And that would not be considered a violation of the clean workspace policy. But as you mentioned, that could give you some insight into their potential passwords and everything like that. Plus, sure. it, you know, in that situation, you probably also have your name on the cubicle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's pretty trivial nowadays to take a picture of a picture. So grab a picture off of someone's whatever cubicle, snap a picture of it and do a Google search of the image or use one of the many other AI technologies out there to search. Sometimes you can even get a direct hit right to the person if the picture is somewhat relevant or if they've got a large picture database on the internet. You know, you can find out names and birth dates and a lot of that stuff's all public data and it all is starting to get tied together nowadays. Well, mm. something that simple, again, people notoriously use terrible passwords and that still applies to the majority of people, which is why we want to move towards passwordless quicker than not. But because of the fact they use those passwords that are terrible, they tend to be based on things that are memorable and easy to deal with for them, which again is all that stuff that's sitting right there within range of that desk. Uh, so it narrows that scope a lot. One other thing that we haven't really mentioned is obviously when you're talking about keeping anything that needs to be secured, secure, one of the things you need to make sure is that you're not haphazardly discarding important information into an open trash bin without making sure that, that trash bin is emptied into a secure location. Yep. Happens all the time. Yeah. Easily overlooked and frequently done, I'm, I have no doubt, is a huge problem. Other than that, are there any other big things that jump out to you about the, the traditional user space, cubicle, room? Yeah. Yeah, again, a ton. 
left behind technology. If somebody leaves a cell phone around that doesn't have good protection on it, a lot of them tend to have work email, other stuff on them. It would be very trivial for someone that just has like a swipe unlock on their phone, no MDM from the business, anything to that level. You swipe unlock the phone, could install an app real quick while someone's off at the restroom or in a meeting and their phone's sitting at their desk. And now that turns into a point where you can grab user passwords and use that to access company resources or pull data back out of the company. Like you said, trash bins are a big one, both in the workspace and in mutual locations, because people in conference rooms just throw away things and, you know, whatever at the end when a deal is done. And that stuff just sits there relatively unattended with very little visibility on anyone that decides to go rifling through there. And then you've got, of course, the big mutual bins, right? Because if that stuff doesn't get shredded or put into a secure storage, all that gets thrown into a big dumpster down in a garage somewhere, probably that probably even less regulated. And Mm -hmm. now you've got multiple businesses worth of stuff that's all sitting right in there. And a lot of times, tons of good information exists inside there. But a lot of times people will even write things like door codes for like an IT cloud it, you know, a physical door code that you punch in and they'll write it right on one of their carts because they forget the code otherwise, but the cart's always, always quote unquote inside the room. So it should be just fine. Except for that one time when the cart's left sitting right outside the room and it's got the code for the door written on it in Sharpie marker or something. Like that. In large open user spaces like that, what technology resources would you look at and see as a potential security risk being exposed and noticeable? Well, to start with any of them that are exposed. So conference rooms, a lot of times will have like a computer attached to them either behind a television or under a desk or in an unlocked cabinet somewhere. Those are great easy points. Most of them are hardwired right into a company network. They're probably very lightly monitored and they very rarely ever have a user logged into them doing anything significant. So there's a lot of just open bandwidth of resources sitting on a lot of those machines. The tablets and things that people are setting up outside of conference rooms now, you tend to be able to find those are typically very insecure as they're mounted to the wall. And most of the times, ethernet cord plugged right into the back, which means direct LAN connection right into the network. That's something that I'm sure that in my head I've processed, but am wondering more and more as I've, you know, all these businesses that I've dealt with, not a lot of them have really made any consideration that I'm aware of. Now, IT may have done their own due diligence and fixed these issues, but yeah, every single room has an Ethernet cord sticking out somewhere. And it's just like everyone overlooks it now because everyone's, oh, just what's the Wi-Fi? But Wi-Fi is one thing. You still need the password to get on. Or a certificate or some sort of authentication, usually over Wi-Fi. But yeah, Ethernet is usually highly unregulated. And in a lot of cases, you plug in and you have at least access to the read-only level anonymous resources that are available on that network with no other hurdles to jump over. And that's a scary thing. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. Let's move out of the user space into, we'll call it just kind of a generic document storage. From a physical security perspective, when you walk into a document storage room, what vulnerabilities are you looking for? Well, first one is access control at the door, because if you don't have access control at the door, then everything's pretty much shot past that point. You should be controlling access to the environment where the storage of documents is. 
And then from there, you should be storing access to the individual document layers with protection as well. So again, locked cabinets, whatever mechanism that means. And you should have monitoring and control. So again, ideally, if those documents are important to you, you should have some sort of camera control in there that's monitoring the actual access to them. So you know not just who's getting access, but what they're touching, what they're doing, so that you've got an audit trail effectively over the base level of access. And that way, if you do start to see that there are DLP issues, there's data that's leaking out physical data, you at least have the ability to kind of narrow down the timelines and start to look for responsible parties, which is going to be an important part of your investigation. If you don't have any control or any visibility over that, you're totally in the dark and you can confirm that the data was lost, but then you're kind of at a dead end trail effectively at that point. So I would just be looking for, yeah, lacks of those types of controls and mechanisms to restrict that level of access all the way down through the document chain, at least a couple of layers in the way. All right. Now let's talk about the Fort Knox here or what should be. Let's talk about the server room or your IT closet or what are you looking for there? Well, this is why a lot of businesses centralize into like mutual data centers where they can get that level of security. But again, all businesses that have any sort of extensive networking are going to have at bare minimum a network closet, if not some sort of server room or a hybrid. For those in particular, looking for one that's just unrestricted. Again, some businesses just put them in a general closet somewhere. They put in the required HVAC systems and they call it a day and there's no door security. Well, in most cases, unless you have a pretty robust IT team that's actually in there doing a lot with those connections frequently. So like small to medium businesses, no chance. Most of those rooms tend to be unoccupied, you know, 90 plus percent of the time, which means if you go inside there, usually you have unrestricted, unfettered access to just about everything inside that room. Room, which means the ability to plug into network switches, network devices, to effectively do almost anything that you could by giving physical control of the network, which is a lot. If you have physical control of the servers, it's even more because now you can go into the server environment and you can effectively just start pulling copies of data physically right off of those devices. You know, there's all sorts of different exploits that are available with physical access. And that's one of the things that keeps them a little bit more risk reduced in a lot of cases when we talk like CVS is the fact that, oh, you need physical access first. Well, if we're talking this layer here, you've already beat that hurdle, which has made these a lot more trivial. So it's very clear. It's not even just the physical security in the room. It's the physical security of the room. And one point you made earlier was being able to determine from external systems kind of the nature of what you're looking for inside. If they've got a significant external camera system and a biometrics for after hours, you know that they're probably going to have a fairly significant networking system. Does that give you any insight as to where to look inside the building for the IT resources? Yeah, again, just based on those initial assessments, you can make those kind of maturity determinations with some level of effectiveness for companies that show a very limited level of security maturity. You look for the low hanging fruit and you look for the really easy stuff because a lot of times that's all you will need. In a lot of cases where you see definite signs of much more increased maturity, heavier biometrics, things like that, you can still go through the base level assessments. But like in a lot of cases, companies that are that mature have already wiped out a lot of the low hanging fruit. And so a lot of times you will just save yourself the time and effort. Don't spend the cycles on focusing on the really, really easy stuff because chances are it's probably not there. Or even if you do get there, you're going to hit other layers shortly after. So you start looking for the things that most people make 
exceptions and compromises on, which is going to be... Like the password for the camera system that you would want to make relatively yes. easy so that anyone who needed it at any time could get it. Yeah, exactly. You start looking for those things. The less controlled areas, like maybe you do have conference rooms, to me, are a great one. They get utilized a lot, but they're undersecured. They've got access to stuff that, again, if it's not segregated properly, it's a direct line of access to your network. And to be totally honest, if I, as a, even an outside person of a company, walk into most medium, small, medium companies, I walk into a conference room, turn on the light, close the door. And if they can't see who's in there, if there's like masking on the windows and the walls, I could sit inside that room for a while and nobody's going to come in and bother me because they're going to think, oh, there's something happening in there, which means I could sit there for a long period of time and just poke away at the network physically from inside the building. Let's be perfectly honest, with a reasonable level of exuded self-confidence in all but the smallest companies, you can probably just say that you just need another five minutes and no one's going to ask you because in a lot of these companies, you're talking about conference rooms being scheduled. And so maybe they came from a different floor, or maybe they came from a different department, maybe they're yep. new, maybe they're waiting for somebody. With the right level of confidence, you can simply wave away anybody who comes in and probably continue what you're doing. Yeah, or start employing some social engineering and then really take it to the next level, right? Now you go in instead and I'm going to put on a shirt with a patch that says uh, Ryan's low voltage repair. And I just put on a typical work shirt. Well, now I just come in and say, hey, I'm an AV tech. I got called here to work on this. Most people are just going to leave me alone. I'm working in the conference room. I'm touching the camera system. I'm pulling it off the wall. It doesn't look like a big deal. I'm a low voltage guy. That's what I do. <laughs> That's all it takes, right? $10 shirt at, uh, at at the Goodwill and a quick patch. And now I've got all the social engineering tools I need to convince somebody that I legit should be in this place. I want to talk about the next workspace. I think it takes a lot of forms nowadays, but we're going to talk about the, in two different forms, there's the mail room, which I think a lot of small businesses that aren't big enough to be in their own large location would have. And then there's other bigger companies that have like shipping and receiving, even companies that aren't doing, you know, major delivery or warehousing operations are still going to have a significant shipping and receiving department if they're doing a lot of regular business. You have to send things by UPS, FedEx, whatever, all the time. What do you look for in a mailroom in a shipping receiving area as far as physical security? Unattended items that could contain critical information. So mailroom's pretty decent one. You get bills that come in that have account numbers that have contact info, that have responsible parties. You get all sorts of different information that gets passed through the mail. A mailroom would be a really easy one. And a lot of times people are just passing through. They come in, they grab the stuff out of their box, they leave, they're not paying attention to what else is really occurring inside there. And a lot of times there's a lot of documents and things that just kind of get left out in the open. That's a great room to go in and just pick up a lot of a lot of quick and dirty information. Not always fully usable, but anywhere that you've got a good aggregation of information like that's always a really good spot to look. Shipping and receiving could potentially be a really interesting one, especially if you're a company that like, say, prepares your laptops before you send them out to like a new hire or for a replacement. Maybe you actually go through and have your IT department like physically, you know, deploy the operating system and then you package mm -hmm. it up and you bring it to your shipping department. They ship it out to this new employee. Well, sure. I think that happens a lot. Yeah. A lot of times those laptops or whatever get sent right out with a little welcome note on the inside that has users, username, password right on there with credentials, right, yeah. the ability for them to set up MFA, stuff like that. There are companies that still do that. So if I walk down and I see a package, that looks like a Dell laptop box or HP or whatever, and it's going out and it looks like maybe new user, maybe even it even has a new user like indicator on like the UPS tag or something that just says new user with a date or something on it. Well, now I know that this basically has an access point for me to get into the network. Chances are it probably has user credentials sitting on some sort of piece of paper right inside there. And the user, if it's like shipping via ground or something, is expecting three, four, five, six days before that item gets to them, which gives mm -hmm. me three, four, five, six days worth of using their account 
account and accessing things that they've already been provisioned access to before anyone is even probably the wiser of it until the user goes, hey, this never got delivered. Somebody sends a request to shipping. They show that the package was never scanned initially, never got picked up. So what do they do? Oh, they put together another laptop and ship it out to this user. And then probably at some point later, reset the user's password. And then they start to go, oh, hang on. But you've got MFA set up, though. So what happened? And now you start working through incident response process. But again, four, five, six days. Well, that assumes that you didn't simply take the package, add what you needed to to the package, and sent it on in a way that the user might sure. not even be able to. Now, that's definitely more NSA level. Yeah. All right. So we've walked through a lot of the things that are real risks to your cybersecurity because they aren't secured from a physical security context. You know, various other things like making sure that nothing gets left on a printer, I think, is one of those amazingly overlooked things. You know, obviously making sure that anything that you throw away or recycle is secure is a big deal. Making sure that anyone who is on the premises and who is not an employee has to go through an authorization process and is monitored the entire time they're on the premises. I mean, Ryan just walked you through exactly how he could destroy, not just hack into, but destroy a small business once he got past the front door. And I'll be honest with you, some of the things that he said that were scariest to me were things that he said before he even walked in. So it's not that difficult to get through the front door. You can watch any number of phenomenal movies about hacking, but let's be honest, hackers is the best. And the phone repair guy, the, as Ryan said, low voltage electrician. These are people who might be able to get wide ranging access to your systems if you deviate from any of these physical security best practices. Uh, that's all the time we have for Fearless Paranoia today. I do want to recommend that anyone who's interested in a more lengthy discussion on physical security policies and procedures or would like a template for some physical security policies themselves to head over to Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy, which is www.resiliencecybersecurity.com. You can find a link in the post for this Fearless Paranoia episode. We have, again, policies available. We also have a physical security checklist that has been developed to help you walk through all of these ways of making sure that you are staying cyber secure by being physically secure. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please make sure you subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Share this episode via any means you'd like. We can help you out if you are interested because we can help you email or send on social media any of these podcast episodes to anyone you feel might benefit from the information that we have shared. We are always interested in hearing from you, the listener, about what kinds of things you would like to hear more about. And of course, we also enjoy compliments on things that we've done in the past. So reach out to us at info at fearlessparanoia.com. Thank you for listening to us today. And on behalf of Fearless Paranoia, I'm Brian. And I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. Bye.